I myself am satisfied about you, brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there for, by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what, I have, what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by, the, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to arrive to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The word of the Lord. Well, thank you, Brian. And I do hope, guys, that you will... Uh, take seriously the uh, encouragement to connect into biblical community uh, this year. And whether that be your children, uh, we have groups for from the littlest up through high school, and then of course adults. Uh, our Wednesday night program uh, for children and youth will be going uh, beginning in September. And uh, this year, uh, that program will happen every uh, live every other week and by Zoom in the off weeks. And one of the reasons why we did that was just kind of building a buffer in case we have any issues with COVID. That gives us a two-week break between in-person uh, meetings. Uh, you know, as you can tell, we are coming to the end of the book of Romans. We have been in it since uh, last September, so it will have been a year. We're going to finish it up 
on August 30th service. And in September, uh, we will begin a new series that will take us through the ministry year. And our theme this next ministry year is going to be by faith. And this, this idea of walking by faith, and uh, go back one slide, there we go, uh, is throughout the scriptures, right? Of course, it's impossible to please God, the scriptures tell us, unless we walk by faith. And so we're going to spend a, uh, well, the entire ministry year unpacking this. And a lot of the year, we're actually going to be in the book of Genesis. So a large chunk of the year, we will be pre- uh, teaching and preaching through the book of Genesis. And I'm excited about this. You know, it's been years and years and years. In fact, it's been decades since I have really done any kind of systematic teaching and preaching through the book of Genesis. And so I'm looking forward to it. And I'm also thinking it's going to be great because, you know, with our rearranged services and our children being in the service with us, it is a lot easier for them to pay attention to stories than it is maybe a didactic type of sermon from the book of Romans, right? And so this is going to be a win-win, I think, for the church family and also for our little guys that are worshiping with us. But part of this that we want to include you in is something that we are calling faith stories. And faith stories are your stories of how you came to know Christ, or perhaps a time when your faith was tested and tried and what you learned through that tribulation of faith, or perhaps some way that God used you to communicate your faith to someone else and they came to know Christ, or maybe a a time where uh, God took you through an an opportunity or an event or brought somebody into your life that grew your faith. Uh, We want your stories. And we're hoping that you will contact Paxson and you will volunteer to go on video. And we're going to compile these stories and use them throughout the ministry. It'd be great if we could have a couple of uh, essentially these testimonial type videos every month to supplement this series and this sermon. So would you please consider that? Uh, You know, husband and wife, if you want to go together and just simply tell your story of how you came to Christ together as a couple, or maybe what God has done in your family, or college student, how God is growing your faith during this time of, of, of education and interaction at your college community. Uh, the sky's the limit. We want to get your stories, okay? So help us with that. Uh, I got a notification this week, and before we get into the message, I just wanted to bring to you, you know, um, things are happening around the world, and some of those things are, are difficult and painful. This is one of our partners. One, I got a notification from uh, Joel and Stephanie Pike. They were here in last October. They are missionaries of ours to France, and uh, they work very closely with this partner, uh, Edward Nelson. He is, uh, uh, you, know, you know, Leo from Rio, right? Leo from Rio and Ken Tomping from India. You know, we guys, we find really key leaders in a country who share our value and they share the love of the gospel and we partner with them to plant churches. And I think, you know, that what in the last 10 years now, we are over 60 churches that we've helped plant around the world through these types of strategic partnerships. And so this partner, Edward Nelson, um, he is, uh, he's like Leo. He's like Ken Tombing. Um, he is, he's the uh, 
chairman of the National Association of Evangelicals in France, planted 12 churches in the last, you know, a half dozen years or so. But Edward passed away um, this week. He was on vacation with his children, and uh, there's a mountaineering accident. He and his son were climbing, and, and he passed away. And so the church, honestly, right now this morning, the church in France, the evangelical church in France is just grieving. This is you know, this is a guy like at the Tim Keller stage of influence within the Church of France. And so uh, he's passed away. One of our partners, Ken Tombing, uh, a key pastor in Ken's ministry, uh, died in the last week or two from COVID. Uh, this man had helped us plant churches in Cambodia. Uh, and so, it, you know, this, this hurts. So let's pause for a moment before we go any further. Let's just pray for these families. Let's pray for the church in France for the church in India that's grieving this morning. Father, uh, we love our brothers and sisters around the world, these people that we partner with because we have these shared values that come through our relationship in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we know that you're sovereign. Uh, We know that you were with Edward and his son on that mountain. Uh, We don't understand uh, your will and why you permit these kinds of tragedies to occur, but we know that you do work through them ultimately for your good and for your kingdom's sake. And so we pray that you would bring comfort to Edward's family, to the church in France, be with Joel and Stephanie as they love on this church they are in and and integral to. Um, Would you use them to bring comfort and the truth of the gospel to these brothers and sisters in Christ? In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, Verse 14 in this passage, it actually starts the closing, uh, the closing of the book of Romans. Paul is done with his teaching now. We have studied all the doctrines and the teachings and the application of those doctrines. Now he begins the goodbye, the closing statements. And in this passage, he actually refers to a verse, or he actually makes a statement. It's a verse that we looked at 40 sermons ago, okay? And that was the the talk about Spain, and it helps us understand the context of what Paul was doing. Well, now we're at that verse And this passage of scripture where Paul is starting to say goodbye to the church at Rome. And in these closing verses, we get great insight into Paul's ministry and his thinking and his methodology and why he was doing things that he was doing and why he did it the way he did it. And so it's a big passage. And since we've got to beat all the other churches to Cracker Barrel, we're going to summarize this down into just two gospel applications, okay? We're going to start in verses 14 to 21, seeing that a God-honoring ministry has a purpose and philosophy that is shaped by the gospel. A God-honoring ministry has a purpose and philosophy that is shaped by the gospel. You know, next month, or maybe it's in October, actually October, we will come to you like we do every year, and we will encourage you to participate in Operation Christmas Child. We do this every year in conjunction and partnering with Samaritan's Purse Ministry. And if you're familiar with Samaritan's Purse Ministry, their ministry is based upon the parable, the Good Samaritan. You know the story, right? A guy is beaten up, left for dead by criminals, and a bunch of people go by him, a bunch of religious people, a lot of moral people, good people, church people, that kind of thing. And nobody helps him. And then this Samaritan comes by and he helps him. And of course, Jesus was making an incredible point to the religious people of his day and to us as members of his church and of his family. But at the end of that parable, he concludes it by saying, go and do likewise. 
And that kind of is the, the, the point, the jumping off point for Samaritan's Purse. And so they go into areas that are devastated by war, by disease, by uh, pandemic, by uh, you know, um, economic uh, deprivations, by natural disasters, and they bring aid to the poor and the needy in that area. And inevitably, they are asked by people in that area, why did you come? Why did you come from America to us to help us? To which they always give a similar response along the lines of, we have come to help you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so they understand that this is their mission and this tangible aid to these people inevitably opens up doors where they are able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them, who's the only hope for their deepest needs, which are much greater than those physical needs that are there. So for any ministry, for any organization to honor God and to be effective and to have a life-changing effect upon others, that ministry has to have a very clear mission and vision and values. You heard our values a few moments ago, a purpose that is shaped by the gospel. We call these the MVPs of a ministry, right? The mission, the values, the vision, the purpose, the goals, the the strategies that a ministry will take. And for a, a ministry, any ministry, whether it's Samaritan's Purse or it's Covenant Church, to honor God in their ministry. They have to have MVPs, a purpose, a philosophy that is shaped by the gospel. And Samaritan's Purse does. And that's one of the reasons why we get behind this effort, right? Our local partners like Love Inc. and CD and and different groups like this all have this in common. Well, in, in verses 14 to 21, Paul puts before us his MVPs. He puts before us his, his philosophy, his ministry philosophy, and his purpose, and his overarching goal, his strategies, and his methods for accomplishing God's will for his life. That's what we have here. So let's start in verses 15 and 16. We have Paul's mission and purpose, but on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In these closing words, Paul is reminding them of something that he reminded them and started with at the beginning of the letter, that he has a distinct calling from God that comes with authority, that he's not just some average guy who's walking through asking them to help. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ, a very rare number of men who received this type of authority in the history of the church as the church was getting established. He's a servant of Jesus Christ, but he's not just any servant. Paul understands that his mission, right, his purpose in being a servant of God is tied to the promises of God in the Old, uh, the Old Covenant and the Old Testament. So in these verses, what you find him doing is you find him pulling from the terminology of the Old Covenant to describe his calling, his mission and purpose. So for example, he's a priest of God. 
priest of God, that's an old covenant, you know, uh, obviously concept. It's very vivid in the old covenant. But he's not a priest of God who serves at a physical temple bringing lambs as an acceptable offering to God. Instead, he's a priest of God in the service of the gospel, not a physical temple. Instead of bringing lambs to an altar to be sacrificed as acceptable offerings, he's bringing the Gentiles to God as an acceptable offering. And you see, this reason why he's doing this and pulling from the Old Covenant is because the promises of God in the Old Covenant are clear, that he will extend his people, his family, his church, his kingdom beyond the nation of Israel to include all the Gentile nations. People from every tribe and tongue and people will be included in God's eternal kingdom. And so Paul is referring to that. You you see this very clear connection in the book of Acts. In the first missionary journey of Paul, Paul and Barnabas are at at Antioch of Pisidia. This is in modern-day Turkey, in that area. It was a a larger city, and he had gone there. And just like he normally would, he, he went into the synagogue, and he began to preach. People were fascinated. They asked him to come back the next week. And the next week, the whole city turns out to hear him. And as he begins to preach, the the Jewish leaders of the synagogues, they get jealous of the turnout and his message, and they begin to oppose him in the middle of his sermon, okay? And so guys don't get any ideas this morning, but they begin to verbally, you know, push back at what he said. And so we read this in Acts chapter 13, and he actually quotes from the Old Testament. He says in Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas then spoke out boldly to these people saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, to you Jews in the synagogues. But since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us saying, and now he quotes from Isaiah, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Paul's mission was to be used by God to fulfill those divine old covenant promises to bring the Gentiles into his eternal family. So Paul's sense of understanding of what his mission was in turn affected his methods of ministry. In verses 17 to 19, you see this. And and one thing that we have to point out here is that we make a mistake and Christians often, (coughs) excuse me, make a mistake by automatically assuming that everything that is in like the New Testament that applies to Paul immediately applies to the rest of us. And we do everything like Paul did and with the same, you know, whatever, unction from God. And, and this is a mistake, okay? There are some things that are simply what we would call descriptive, right? And it can vary from one person to another. So in other words, Paul's methods were not necessarily the same as Peter's methods, or John's methods, or Apollos' methods, because their mission from God had differences. And so their methods and how they did things would naturally differ. You understand what I'm saying here? And so when we look at this passage, we see some aspects of his methods don't necessarily transfer to us. A good example is in verse 19. 
In verse 19, he says, I came to you in word and deed, and I did this through power, through signs, through miraculous miracles and wonders. And so we can, we can mistakenly assume, oh, okay, that means if I want to separate the Red Sea, all I gotta do is hold up my staff like Moses or whatever, or do what Paul did with miraculous signs and wonders. But this is where the scriptures are important to understand and translate and interpret the scriptures. Paul only uses this phrase one other time in the Bible. He uses it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And the point that he is making here is that the apostles, these men who saw the risen Lord, that's what made, you, you couldn't even be an apostle unless you had seen the risen Lord, you had been ministered to by Jesus himself, right? You could not be an apostle. That's why we don't have apostles today. And so what Paul said, oops, Okay, we just lost the verse. I'll read it for you. In, in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works or mighty power. So the only other time he uses this phrase is in 2 Corinthians 12, and he says, this is the sign of an apostle. So some things don't necessarily transfer over to us and his methods and how he did ministry, but other things do. And these are the ones we really need to hone in on this morning. So for example, you see that his methods were very strategic in their implementation, right? He, he would go into Antioch of Pisidia, which was a major urban area, or he would go to Antioch of Syria, or he would go to Corinth or Thessalonica or Athens or Ephesus. These were major urban cities, and that's where he did ministry. He would do his ministry there, he would plant a church, and then from that city, the gospel would go out into the surrounding towns and villages. Paul didn't go into every stop at every town and village and preach the gospel. He was very strategic in his implementation. And so as we think about our mission, our vision, uh, we need to understand that planning is not unbiblical. Strategic thinking is not ungodly. It's just strategic thinking that we do and the planning that we do needs to be bathed in prayer and constantly submitted to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You see this in Paul's life. He was ministering in what we now know as modern day Turkey when the Holy Spirit led him to leave that region where he was having effective ministry and go across the sea to Thessalonica, to Macedonia and begin ministry there. So he was strategic in his methods. His methods focused on Christ and his kingdom, not on himself. Paul was not building a kingdom to Paul. Paul was not building some ministry where everybody worshiped and adored Paul. Paul was not doing something so that he could you know, write books that trains everybody on how to be the, the most effective, charismatic leaders. No, Paul's focus was on Christ. He says, in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. His focus was on Christ, on the gospel. It is the power of the gospel that has the ability to bring about true life transformation. It's not the charisma of the person on stage or the abilities of the musicians or these things that bring somebody to Christ. 
Christ uses the musicians and the people on stage to proclaim the gospel, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that has the power to make the change through the Holy Spirit's work, not the man. So his methods were focused on Christ and his kingdom, and his methods, and this is, this is really important that we get this, his methods incarnated the gospel. They, his methods embodied the gospel. He says in verse 18, <clears throat> For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Underline that. Important. By word and deed. You know, just a few moments ago, I referred to Samaritan's Purse. Uh, Back in March, April, uh, beginning of April maybe, when the pandemic was really at its peak in New York City, Uh, Samaritan's Purse had gone in to New York City and they got permission to set up kind of a a compound of tents and medical facilities and things like that, I believe in Central Park actually, some big area, and and they were ministering to people who maybe they couldn't get into the hospital because they weren't severe enough. They had doctors and nurses. They had places where people could be, you know, lay down and they could stay there until they got feeling, that kind of stuff. Medical care was being given, water and masks and all kinds of things were being done by Samaritan's purse in New York City, in Manhattan, to help them through this pandemic. Well, <clears throat> because of the, you know, the cancel culture that we live in today, uh, you know, some bright yahoos decided it would be a good idea to go begin demonstrating and boycotting Samaritan's Purse because <clears throat> they did not check all the boxes in today's political social world as far as their beliefs were concerned. And so apparently it's better to let people die from COVID than to get help from somebody who doesn't agree with you on every political and social issue. That's the world we live in today, right? And so they began to boycott and they began to protest that the city was allowing Samaritan's Purse to do this ministry. Well, what was interesting is that one of the men who lived in the townhome along uh, Central Park uh, he came to Samaritan's Purse defense. He wrote an article, I think it was in either the New York Times that I read this or it was Huffington Post. And he started it like this by saying, listen, I am not a Christian, I'm a Jew. I don't even believe in God, I'm an agnostic. <laughs> and I certainly don't agree with everything that, that Samaritan's Purse believes. He says, I'm a liberal Democrat. <laughs> so, so I'm the exact opposite. But he goes on to say, can we please leave the people of Samaritan's Purse alone? <laughs> Can we just leave them alone? You know, and then he went on to praise them for their love and their assistance and their sacrifice, pointing out that many of them were getting ill with COVID as they were ministering to people who needed help. And so he basically essentially said in his conclusion, he goes, listen, I may not agree with everything that Samaritan's Purse believes, but I've concluded that these are good people and we need them in New York City. Amen. You see, that is ministry in word and deed. John Scott writes that the combination of words and works, the verbal and the visual, is a recognition that human beings often learn more through their eyes than through their ears. Read this last sentence out loud with me, ready? Words explain works but works dramatize words. 
Words explain words. Listen, we, we have to give the spoken word of the gospel to people so that they can hear. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, by the gospel of God. But words without works are empty and often rejected. And many times you have to do the works before the words have an audience that will hear them. Words explain works, but works dramatize words. Paul's vision is in verses 20 and 21. He says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. See, Paul had a mission to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. His methods were employed in order to help him fulfill this vision of taking the gospel to areas that were completely unreached. Other apostles didn't do this, and that was fine. Uh, Apollos, for example, came in behind Paul and would often invest in those churches and build them up and help them to become stronger. And this was a legitimate calling also. But for Paul, his vision was to go into these urban areas, and he says, I've gone from Jerusalem to modern-day Balkans. I've completed this mission that God started me with, essentially bringing the gospel to that Mediterranean world, the eastern part of the Roman Empire. And, and what was happening right now was the empire had begun to colonize in Spain and in France and in the Western Europe. And so Paul's eyes now shift westward. Time to expand this vision, to renew this vision, because I've already finished the first part of it. You know, we can relate to this church because a couple of years ago, we came to you and said, hey, 2010, we rolled out a vision and we really think that what we rolled out has been accomplished in our church. We wanted to change the culture of our church. You heard an aspect of it this morning where biblical community becomes the foundation of our church family. And being in biblical community and growing in Christ and becoming a disciple of Christ happens through intentional discipleship in community with other believers. And we made sure that the main thing is the main thing, the proclamation of the gospel and establishing churches in our, around the world. And well, we came to you a couple of years ago and said, hey, we've, we need to renew this vision. And so we came to you, we did a lot of work, a lot of thinking, and and we came with a very specific mission statement. Remember that mission statement? Bringing gospel restoration to people's deepest needs and our broken world. Bringing gospel restoration to people's deepest needs and our broken world. The mission statement of a church guides the direction of the church. And so when we consider ministries, when we consider different efforts at ministry and things that we might want to try to do, we have to ask ourselves some questions on how to invest those resources in light of our mission. And so the mission is incredibly important. It informs those types of decisions the mission tells us what we as a church body, what we as members and participants in this church are supposed to be doing. And what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be bringing gospel restoration to people's deepest needs in our broken world. 
And the deepest need every single person has, first and foremost, is to know that they are a sinner, but that Jesus Christ came to die for sinners, and that when we trust in Christ alone, our sins are forgiven, and we enter into relationship with our Creator through Christ. It's everyone's deepest needs. But our world is severely broken. Sin has broken our world. It's destroying our world, and we see it through so many isms. In our, in our world, alcoholisms and addictions and divorce and the family unit just being destroyed and children having to raise themselves, children having to go all weekend hungry because uh, they have one parent and that parent is enslaved to narcotics. So they go hungry all weekend. Praise the Lord for ministries that go into our public school and make food for children so that they can have something to eat over the weekend. How sad is it that our society is like that today? Why are we having all the things going on in our society today to demonstrate? Because racism is real. And it still occurs, and injustice still occurs. And so even, you know, some groups may capitalize on things, but you can't get away from the ugly reality that it's real. And it's not just a white thing or a black thing, or a brown, it's, it's all, racism is sin, and you find it in every people group, regardless of the color of the skin, and until the gospel comes into our nation, and into every people group, guess what? We're going to struggle with racism. So the answer to racism, the, race, the answer to alcoholism, the answer to all these ills in our society, government has their play and their role, but folks, government will not deliver us from these issues in our society. Only the gospel will fix this. Only the gospel. So this mission, you know, our mission is essentially, and I think every Bible-believing church their mission should simply be the great commission that is put into their local context, their cultural context. And so our mission is how we see us carrying out the great commission here in Palm Bay, Melbourne, Brevard County, and around the world. And so we came to you with that. We came to you with renewed vision, and, and we kind of gave it a tagline, 50 by our 50th, right? We turned 50 years old in 2028, I think it is right? And so we said, by our 50th anniversary, here's our vision. Here's what we want to see God do. If we are actually carrying out our mission, there should be some fruit. There's some tangible goals. Here they are. We want to help plant 50 churches in 10 years. So by 2028, we want to help plant 50 churches around the world with three to five of those churches being in our own backyard, okay? 50 churches that we want to help plant, this, this determines how we spend money around here, right? Uh, we want to see 50 adults led to Christ and discipled by 50 of our adults. I think so far we're up to 10. We're about 20% of the way there. We've got some work to do, church. We want to see 50 of our children led to Christ by their parents, not by a pastor, not by a children's director or youth director. That's all good if that happens. But we want mom and dad to feel so equipped at being the pastors of their children that when their children ask questions about Jesus and about faith, you feel confident to answer them and ultimately have the pleasure of praying with your child when they receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. 
I hope every one of you families, parents that have little children, that you get that pleasure to bring your children to Jesus Christ. And we want 50, we want 50 stories of people whose lives were broken by sin, broken by all the isms and all the things that are in this world that come about because of sin. We want 50 stories of restoration, how God, through Jesus and the power of his gospel, changed their life. And when that vision is accomplished, we're going to have one heck of a party at this church, okay? And we're looking to see that happen by 2028. A God-honoring ministry has to have a purpose, a philosophy, a, a vision and a mission and methodologies that are shaped by the gospel. One final application in our remaining time, right? A kingdom-focused ministry requires partners who sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. I'm not going to read all of verses 22 to 33, but in these verses, verses 22 to 33, are Paul's big ask for this church. Everything from chapter 1 up to this point is leading to this point. These verses in chapter 15, verses 23 to 33, these are Paul's big ask of the Roman church. He's asking them to sacrifice, to be involved in his plans to take the gospel to Spain, which, as I mentioned, had recently been colonized by the Roman Empire. They were now opening up. They were becoming a growing area and he wants to go there with the gospel. And so he gives them this big ask. And this ask has three components to it. And there's good application for us this morning as we close out. First of all, he's asking them to become a, his base of operations. This is kind of an implication in these words. He doesn't come right out and say, hey, guys, I'd like you to become for me, for me to, when I go to Spain what Antioch of Syria was when I went to the eastern portion. But that's what's going on here. He says, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions where he has been, and since I've longed to see you for many years, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. And then he says in verse 28, I will leave for Spain by way of you. And, and so there's an implication. He goes, guys, I want to come see you. I want to spend time with you. I need you to help me because... Listen, they didn't have airplanes back then, right? I mean, he's going now to the uttermost parts of the earth. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus says, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. The uttermost parts of the earth at that time were Spain, France, that western edge of the Roman Empire. To put it in, in perspective, for us today, if we were to go to the uttermost parts of the earth, like Jesus was asking the apostles, we'd go to, like, to Chicago. That's how far away it would be, right? That doesn't seem like a big deal, does it? But, you know, 200 years ago, that was a big deal. Before mass transportation. Think about what Paul is doing here. He's going across oceans in a glorified rowboat, okay? And you know how dangerous this is. And so he says, listen, I, I can't have my base of operations in Antioch of Syria if I'm going to Spain. I need a new place. And the logical church to be able to do that was the church at Rome. It was a big, healthy thriving church. It was financially sound. It could help him go to Spain. So that was implicit. The explicit acts, he's asking them to share in the financial burdens that he has. See, Paul is preparing them to make their own financial offering so that he can go to Spain. And what he does 
is he uses the current situation in the Jerusalem church as a teachable moment for the Roman church. He says in verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. If you're familiar with the writings of the Apostle Paul, you know in the book of Corinthians and other epistles, in his second and third missionary journeys, he was gathering money from the Gentile churches in order to take it back to the Jerusalem church who had gone through a severe period of persecution. They'd lost jobs and wages and famine had happened. They were really struggling. And so he, now like in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he, he challenges those people. He says, listen, you have received the most precious gift from a generous God God was so generous to you that he gave his son. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you eternal life. He's giving you blessings in this life. Now, doesn't it make sense to give some of those blessings back to God's people, to God's work? And he says to them, God loves a cheerful giver, a generous giver, someone who realizes that God has been so good to us, how can I be miserly towards God and towards his ministry and towards his work when it's in need? And so he motivates those Corinthian churches and the Macedonian churches through the, through the gospel. And so that's what he's doing here. He's saying to these, he's essentially hoping that just as the gospel motivated those very poor churches like in Thessalonica who were, who were also impoverished, but they gave so generously, he's hoping that this type of example that he puts before the Roman church motivates them, that the gospel motivates them to financially sacrifice for the future church of Spain. And there's application here for us, right? When, when we consider how rich has God been towards us, and all the blessings that God has given to us. The fact that we, every one of us in this room this morning, and who's listening to me through the internet practically, every one of us, our worst living conditions are better than the living conditions of more than 80% of the world's population. And we have been made so rich by God, and he has given us so many blessings on the physical and the spiritual levels. How can we be miserly towards him and the ministry of the gospel in our church and the ministry of the gospel that's happening through our church around the world? Guys, in the last couple of years, we've planted more than 10 churches. That doesn't just happen. That happens because some of you have caught the vision and you understand that God has been rich to you. So I want to be rich back to, to the level that I can towards God. I want to say thank you to God and be invested in his kingdom. You know, there was a man who went into his financial planner one day and he was worried. He was worried that he wasn't going to have enough money for retirement. He just said, I know I'm not getting very far. I'm not making many progress and I don't know what's going on. And so the, the advisor said, well, listen, let's make an appointment. Bring to me all of your bank statements. Bring to me your checkbook, you know, your credit card statements, everything, and let me look at it. And so he brought them to the advisor. The advisor looked through them and he saw several things and he called the man in for a meeting. He said, listen, I need to ask you about a few things. He said, I, I happen to notice that you play golf a lot. 
like, you know, three times a week. And, you know, it costs you like $80, $90 each time you play. And the guy goes, oh, man, I have so much fun with golf. I love golf. He goes, okay, all right. So I also noticed that you, you and your wife, you go on cruises like every eight weeks or so, it seems like, at least once a quarter. Oh, my wife is so good. She gets these great deals on the Internet. We just love going on cruises. Okay. He goes, well, I also have noticed that you guys eat out pretty nice. He goes, we have so many great friends. It's so good. We go down to Pineda Crossings, and we just love Pineda Crossings. It's such a great restaurant. We love eating out. And finally, the advisor looks at the man, and he tells him, he said, well, based on what I'm seeing, I need you to love recreation and restaurants less, and I need you to love retirement more. <laughs> right? You get the idea there. You know, I wonder if a financial advisor were to look at our bank statements, our credit card bills, our checkbooks, our financial records, would he conclude that we love our church? Would he conclude that we love the ministry of the gospel that's happening in our church and through our church around the world? Is that what he would conclude? Or would he say, I need you to love recreation and restaurants automobiles or whatever, less, I need you to love God's kingdom more. It's not my place to look into your financial records, but it is your place to look into your records and say, what does my checkbook, what do my, does my calendar say about my priorities? All right, one final point here as we close. He asked him to sacrifice with financial burdens and Finally, he says, I need you to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel by striving together in prayer. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Our time has come to an end. I can't spend a, a lot of time on this. But, you know, last week we had a wonderful time of corporate prayer and a concert of prayer. We don't want this to be a one-off thing. We want prayer to be such a vital part of our church that it is the main thing we do when we come together in small group. When we come together in biblical community, the way we worship God together in biblical community, yes, we can sing a song, but it's through prayer. Prayer is worship. And so I beg you, church, as we go into this new year of small groups, would be this be the best year ever in our groups of kingdom-focused prayer? What do I mean by that? Let's stop praying for our pancreases and our spleens, and let's pray for the kingdom. And it's okay to bring it up, but let's stop organ recitals at the sake of kingdom needs. Kingdom needs first, physical needs second. Say that with me. Kingdom needs first physical needs second. One more time. Kingdom needs first, physical needs second. Amen. Father, we thank you for this exhortation that Paul gives us, a reminder of how important it is to have a mission, a vision that comes from you that is shaped by the gospel. Lord, we thank you for the mission and vision you've given our church. We believe it comes from you. We thank you for how you are resourcing and providing. I thank you for these men and women here and who hear my voice this morning, the way they have pitched in, working together to see this accomplished. Heavenly Father, would you continue to resource us? Would you give us people who are stepping forward 
to lead groups, to be involved in the discipleship of our children and our young people on Wednesday nights. Lord, we thank you for all those who are using their gifts in our church to build up the body and to spread the kingdom. Lord, give us that power that we need to communicate the gospel in word and deed to Palm Bay, to Brevard County, and around the world. Give us a sense of generosity in our spirits where we would not be bound by fear of the future, but we would invest in your kingdom right now. For your praise and your honor, Lord Jesus, I ask these things. Amen.